Thank you, church. You can take your seats. It definitely has been on my heart for a couple of months because, to be honest, a bit of raw, you know, at the start of my message, um, I prepped this message months ago. I was ready to preach it months ago. And then a silly thing called ear infection in this year, then this year, within a couple of day period, hit me pretty hard. So if I got up here and preached, I wouldn't be able to hear out this ear. I would have had pulsing pain. And the topic that I've chosen today might even came out in my message. Then I thought, because I prepped it a while ago, maybe I'll come up with another topic. Um, I'll, I'll hear God on what I want to uh, share for today. And I wasn't hearing much, but I sort of went down the, um, the line of uh, how we make room for God in our life. Um, how we, you know, with the busyness of life, with the clutter of life, how do we make room for God? And then as I basically finished prepping that message... I then had a little hunch that I think that message was preached three weeks ago by Pastor Jenny Ouchen, and um, it was actually called Make Room, the title, which was the title that was going to be my message, how much I pay attention in church. And uh, so um, I then went, okay, God, what do I do? Because this is Wednesday now, a couple of days ago. What message do you want me to bring? And then he just goes, there's a message that I've already put on your heart. So I want to share that with you guys today. But before I get into it, I want to say two words, two very strong, maybe triggering words for you today. Brisbane traffic. Brisbane traffic. You probably know where I'm going with this, but oh, I'm a Toowoomba boy, born and raised, love Toowoomba traffic. It's all right. There's maybe some slow drivers here and there, but we can get through that. Maybe the intersections are not being used as efficient as they can be, but we can get through that. But when we go from two or three lanes max, maybe here in Toowoomba, to what is like six to 20 lanes, oh man, it's just crazy in Brisbane. And one of my most probably shameful, maybe most embarrassing, maybe most frustrating moments I've had in Brisbane traffic was just before Easter this year, um, I'd actually been able to work at the high school as a chappie and um, I got some training that I was able to go down and get some PD down in um, Brisbane. And I was like, whoop, let's go. I'll get the school car. They allowed me to have the school car, free fuel. It was actually when the fuel prices were going really high. Apparently, they're coming back up again. So I was happy that I was getting the free fuel, free car. It's going to be a comfortable drive. But I still had to face these two words, Brisbane traffic. Very triggering for me. I don't know about you, but for me, it's a big deal. And so I found myself driving to the location where the training was happening. It was actually happening in a old hall um, at a croquet club of all places and it was right in the centre of this particular area in Brisbane where traffic was just chaos. We got school traffic, we got work traffic, we just got the in-between traffic, it's all happening and I didn't realise like probably two kilometres ahead you've got to be in the right lane. You know, so if you're going to turn left two k's ahead, you have to be in these two lanes. So I'm right on the other side. I'm already getting tense. I'm sweating bullets. I'm freaking out. And then I thought I'd ignore the GPS because I'm like, well, I, I can't get down this particular route. So I'm just going to go straight ahead. And as I went straight ahead, I went straight into a one-way street that went to a dead end. And here's a car coming in and looking at me. We both stopped in what was 60k traffic. I'm now held up. Gridlock is happening, and then all of a sudden I'm like, I've got to get myself out of this. So logic's out the window. I just went to the next option, which was to turn right on what looked like a road. And as I went up onto a bit of a curve, onto a weird-looking road that had gardens and plants on this road, it soon became apparent, as Brisbane State High students were walking towards me, 
and as there were more and more gardens, that I wasn't actually on a road at this point. I was actually on a pathway. <laughs> and these students were, they were mouthing words I can't say in church. They were giving me symbols I can't do in church. They were having goes. I mean, I was already tense for church. I was already frustrated. I was already angry. And now I'm not even on the proper road. Then I cut across a garden, rest in peace, gerbers. And as I went back onto the road, I was like, freedom, yay but still ended up being about half an hour late to the training. I was frustrated, I was angry, I was upset. And in Ephesians 4, 26, New King James Version, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being our helper, for being with us in all seasons of life. We all get angry at times, so let's help, help, help us today to listen to your words, what Paul particularly says in Ephesians today, and how Jesus represented his life in the human condition when it came to the subject of anger and frustration. Help us to listen, not to me, but to listen to you today and the words you want to say to us in all of our scenes of life. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Last year, in my chappy role, I I often um, get opportunities to talk with students one-on-one, normally when teachers are struggling with them or maybe even their peers are struggling or family are struggling, and they'll get me to have a bit of a conversation with them, run programs with them, whatever it might be. There's different different aspects of my role as a chaplain, and there was this particular student that came into my office, and he had gone through a lot of different people in the school. His parents had tried to talk to him about what was going on, but he came into my office saying, I don't want to be here. I've been told I have to be here. When are you available next? I said, okay, we'll figure out this time. We'll do this. He just wanted to tick the box. I could see it in his heart. I can see he's just been told he has to do this because his mum said you have to do this. So I was like, all right, let's figure out a time. Figure out a time. The next day, he comes in the office and he goes, right, chappy, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that anger is, um, that, uh, you know, that, um, you know, I'm angry and that's bad. Um, I've done stupid things and that's bad. I, I let the anger get better of me, so that's bad. I don't want to hear all that stuff, okay? I'm just, I, I don't know what else you can say. So he tried to shut me down. And I said, you know what? Maybe someone hasn't told you this before, but how about you just be angry right now? And he's like, what? <laughs> don't rip up the office. Don't harm me. Don't direct the anger at me, but just share all the anger. I literally said it like that. Very basic. And then he big pause, awkward silence, and he just started. Venting about teachers about peers, about siblings, family, past experiences. And he just started letting out all of this anger and there was emotion in his eyes. Basically an hour has gone by. The whole lesson we spent on this, at the end of the session, he goes, I don't know what else I can say. I said, you said enough. I just want you to know I've heard it. I've listened to it. And that helps me now how I'm going to respond and help you if you if you're, want to do it again. He says, yes, I do. I want to do it again. So for the first time, he was able to just be angry and not be shut down. The first part of the scripture that Paul's saying in Ephesians 4.26 is two words, be angry. That's my first point. Sometimes I think anger is not really talked about a lot. It's misunderstood. It's misconstrued. it's, uh, It's miscommunicated. It's one of those feelings and emotions in our plethora of emotions and feelings in our life that we often try to avoid, push down, or put to the side. We avoid it at all costs. 
You know, I, I talked to grade seven students in the high school about these emotions, happiness, sadness, frustration, peace, calm, anger. And one of the activities I often get them to do, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or in a big group, is I get them to sort of, you know, throw out these cards out that hold the, all these faces and emotions. And I say, put them in a good, good side and a bad side. So everyone works together and I put them in the good side and the bad side. And they justify why this particular feeling, this emotion is good, and why these feelings and these emotions are bad and should be avoided. And often in the activity, I'll actually then take away at the end the word good and the word bad. Because whether it's happiness, anger, frustration, peace, calm, fear, scared, whatever it might be, these are all valid feelings and emotions, church, that God has actually designed us with and created us with. And yet I think as human beings, we try to segregate emotions. When someone gets angry, avoid them, get them out of here, there's something wrong with them. That person's sad, there must be something wrong, let's avoid them. Oh, that person's happy, I'll go over to them. But who knows that sometimes people can be happy about the wrong things. So therefore, it's actually the context, it's the situation of which the emotion that it's attached to on whether it's good or bad. Whether you realize it or not, there's actually five different faces of anger. Four that I teach in the school and one that I'm going to share today that we can learn from Jesus in a particular moment in his, his walk here on earth. The four that I teach at school are aggressive anger. This is the one that often maybe Hollywood would display most of. It's where the hole gets punched in the wall. It's where someone gets physically hurt. It's where words get thrown that often have regret following them. It's where people get really hurt in the moment, a reaction. That's aggressive anger. Passive anger, if you know what that is, it's basically, so aggressive anger would be like, ah! You know, like it could be a grunt, it could be anything, but passive anger could look like this. Exactly the same anger, but it looks like this. It's awkward, it's silent, words often not spoken, but you know you're walking on eggshells around those people. It's passive anger. They've pushed it down, eventually it can turn into aggression. The third one I teach the kids is around passive-aggressive. It's where the two are together. Funny example would be when you're angry at maybe a sibling and you don't want to directly hurt them, you don't want to get caught, so you know they're about to go to the toilet, so you get the broom handle, you lay it across the ground in the dark and they run over and they fall on it and they hurt themselves. Passive-aggressive. You're doing it from a distance, you're doing it subtly, but you're still hurting people, whether it's verbal or physical. The one that I actually teach the kids is one of the best ones is assertive anger. Assertive anger is all around, I feel it, I acknowledge I'm angry right now, I'm either going to walk away, I need to think about it, I need to make a positive response based off how I feel with this anger. I don't want to push on the person, I want to actually push on more the situation and how I feel. Assertive anger. But I want to go a step further because as Christians I think we have this upper play on even what they teach in education, what they teach across humanity. Because there's this human anger but then there's this thing called righteous anger. I don't know if you heard of it before. Righteous anger is mentioned in the word a fair bit. And in Mark 11, 15 to 17, at NIV, we have the story of Jesus. And it says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The first point, be angry. 
because there's nothing wrong with being angry. Jesus proves this. He was angry. He was fully God, fully man in, in flesh, right? And he had anger. But this was a righteous anger. I'll get to that in a second. So Jesus was ticked off. He was furious. He was angry. Reinforcing that anger isn't a bad emotion. It's something that needs to be felt. But what's the difference here? Well, the answer we need, or the question we should ask first is, what was he actually angry about? Because we can read that story and just go, oh, it's the people, and he just lost it, the people. He did Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he just went for it and just started flipping tables and punching people and pushing them over. Because people can read that story and just go, man, Jesus lost it. Like, he is out of control. So if he did it, then there's nothing wrong with what I do when I lose out of control because Jesus did it. But that's different. That's wrong. What he was actually angry about was two things. The money changes, the people who were doing the currency exchange, if you know what currency exchanges, switching over, you know, if you come from a certain country to another country and you need to get the money so you can purchase certain items in that country, the Passover, which is what this time was in the temple, the outer temple here, was a lot of Gentiles, a lot of people coming from around that had had the journey had understood what Passover is. They're celebrating what God had done for his people. He got them out of slavery. This is Passover. This is celebration. This is a time where people come to connect with God. And yet Jesus rocks up. He's walking in going, he's expecting people to be connecting with God, doing what was the practices that were right. And then all of a sudden he comes across two people, the people that are the money changers, ripping off people, by the way, it wasn't just a normal little currency exchange, all proper legal. They were actually taking some for them, extra for them. So they're taking advantage of God's people in the temple of all places. And the second group were working hand in hand with these guys. A little operation here, organised crime, you could say, was the, uh, the animal sellers. So the people selling the animals because they knew that when people are coming to the Passover, they need an animal to sacrifice. I won't go into that today. You can check it out for yourself. But the sacrifice that animal was part of the practice, and often people go on the long journey, they might have animals that die. They could maybe think, I'm just going to purchase when I get there in Jerusalem. But they get to the temple, they've now got ripped off, they've got less for what they actually came with, money, and now they're getting an animal for more money than what it's worth, just to take advantage of the people. That's what Jesus was getting angry about. This was a righteous anger, the definition of righteous Anger is actually not something that's coming directly towards you, but an injustice. Something that is like uh, really hurting people, especially God's people. This is what Jesus was really fired up about. And in fact, I've done a lot of research trying to figure out, did Jesus ever get angry at something happening to him? The answer is no. I'm happy to be corrected, Pastor Brandon, but I've done a lot of research. There is minimal, if not none, that he got angry because of something that happened to him directly. He got really furious and angry at times when people were being mistreated. When God's, when God's heart was actually angry, that's what caused Jesus' heart to be angry. Righteous anger. This is when injustice happens in the world, when there's slavery, when people are getting hurt, when wars break out, when all this stuff's happening. This is not God's heart. And that causes us, out of an anger, to step forward and have action, which is a righteous anger. Ultimately, these people were making it hard for others to connect and get to God. That's where Jesus was getting angry about. And this is where we unpack how he actually did it. So this is why he got angry, who he got angry at in the situation, but, but how did he do it? Which my second point, so the first one is be angry. The second one is be wise. 
It says, be angry and do not sin. And do not sin. Hmm. I often get told by um, Pastor Jerry when I was a teenager in the youth group that life's like a game of cards or a game of you know. You often get a, don't get a choice of the cards, but you get a choice of how you play the cards. That's a bit like life. We have these situations. We have things that come up that we just become angry, but we now have a choice of what we do with them. William Arthur Ward, famous writer, Christian fellow, he said, it is wise to direct your anger towards problems, not people, to focus your energy on answers and not excuses. When we get angry, do we direct it at the person first or do we direct it at the issue first? That will change the outcome completely, church. When, you, when we get angry, do we focus on the, on the person who made us feel that way in that moment or do we just focus first on the feelings that are involved and then make a response based off how we feel, not the person first? This makes a huge difference with being wise with our anger, church. Jesus' anger was focused on the issue of what was happening in the temple being misused before it was then directed at people. If you look at the order of what actually happened in that story, sometimes we think he just went in guns blazing and just flipped tables straight away. But there was actually a particular order that happened. James 1, 19 to 20 says, Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger, highlight, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This is challenging, church. I know it was for me when I was prepping this. Jesus was not all of a sudden out of control. The cool thing about this story is it's actually written in four different passages, four different books, Matthew, Luke, and John, right? And so John, John's take on this, his writing on this, John 2.15 recounts the story saying these words, part of it, Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money, changes coins over the floor and turned over the tables. Now, I just want to highlight something here. It might seem a bit logical, a bit simple, but it says Jesus made a whip. Now, Jesus is God. I'm sure he could just, you know, maybe just have a tool like Mary Poppins' bag. He could just have everything there. But it says that he made a whip, which tells me that takes time. I don't know if he's a professional whip maker, if he's going to do it in 30 seconds flat, or he does it over a couple of minutes, or it takes an hour. But he takes time to make a whip that he uses to get the animals out and get the people out. And by the way, in none of these passages does it say he ever makes physical contact with people. He's not going around whipping people like the aggressive anger. He just gets everyone out. But it takes time. It tells me that he went in, he saw what was happening, he got a bit furious, got a bit ticked off, a bit angry. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a whip. A couple of minutes, maybe an hour goes by, whatever the time it takes to make a whip. You can tell me if you're a whip maker today, just come and see me after. It takes, takes a bit of time and then he starts moving everything out. Then in the next part of the passage, it says he flips the tables. We think, or I probably think as well, when I read that story, that he went in there and flipped the tables while the people are still sitting down, people are getting crushed by tables, tables going through people's faces. No, that's not Jesus. 
This is a righteous anger that he had control of, but he was feeling because he was human as well. And he comes in, he sees what's happening, he takes the time, he plans, he makes the decision, then I'm going to do this. Then he flips the tables, people have all left, money's everywhere. That's how Jesus responded when he had this anger. There's many other stories of this righteous anger that he had. Even, even when, when there's um, the story of someone who dies, and it's a sadness, and he gets re- angry and makes the choice then to do what he does, look into it. So how often... Do we flip the tables first? How often do we put the hole through the wall? How often do we grunt? How often do we throw the word? How often do we clench the fists? How often do we get right in someone's face? How often do we slam the door? You know, kids at school sort of thing. How often do we just throw the ball off to the side in anger? And it might seem like a bit of event. It might seem of one way if it's not hurting someone directly, that it's positive. And yes, it can be better than other choices, but ultimately it's hurting someone indirectly at some point, reacting in the moment. I often believe that reacting can lead to regretting. But when we respond, there won't be a regret behind that. Anger can so easily lead to destruction when Jesus' goal with his righteous anger in that moment was about restoration not destruction. You can have a feud, you can get angry at someone, you can get angry at a sibling, you can get angry at a spouse, you can get angry at a friend, you can get angry at a situation, but is the goal ultimately to just hurt them and move on and then I'll deal with it? Or is the goal to go, you know what, I need to remove myself, I need to do these particular things because I want to restore this, at least I want to try because God's all about restoration. And once that's exhausted, then choices can be made from there. See, anyone can be angry, that's easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right level, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that isn't so easy. There's a lot of rights in that. But I promise you, if one of them turns into a wrong, the whole thing becomes wrong. If you're with the wrong person at the right level, with the right time, with the right purpose, in the right way, it's not wrong. It's not going to work out. If you go to the right person, but you do it at the wrong level, the wrong time, the wrong purpose, in the wrong way... It doesn't matter if the person's great with their wisdom. If I went to Pastor Brandon, who I go to all the time, but if I went to him the wrong way, the wrong purpose, the wrong, the wrong attitude, the wrong level, the wrong time, and I just started going, bah, you know, just the situation, he, he, he could try and help, but while I'm in that state, nothing's going to go through. So there's a lot of factors in this church when it comes to how we work through this anger and allowing God to help us. It's the who, the when, the where, and the how when it comes to this stuff. Be angry and do not sin. And finally, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Maybe you've read this before. I know I've heard it a couple of times before. Don't let the sun go down your wrath. I was reading that and going, hold on a second. If I get angry at 5.30 in the afternoon, I've only got probably about half an hour, hour time to figure out my anger or I'm not living up to the scripture. I'm not living up to God's word. <laughs> like if I get compared to if I got angry at 5 a.m., I've got the whole day to figure it out. Let's go. But that's not the context what Paul's trying to say. <laughs> He's saying, don't let it be prolonged. Don't let it continue. Don't let it get to a point where it's just part of who you are and you've accepted it and you've actually let it live on the inside of you. Don't let it sit with you for a long time. He wants you to be free. Number three, be free. Be angry, be wise, and be free. Second part of that story with that 
young man that came in my office, as we continue to work together, I, I, I use analogies and metaphors to talk about how anger can often get you really stuck when you don't talk about what's the actual issues underneath. Because I, I, I even said to him this quote, sometimes we can find it easier to remain angry than acknowledge the pain associated with why we are angry. It's easier just to put up a front. It's easier to be strong, particularly as guys. No, it may be a stereotype, but for me, it's easier sometimes if I'm really ticked off, if I'm upset, if I'm going through something tough, it's to push that down. And I promise you what I cover that with is anger. What I cover that with is, is, is this, this nature of being frustrated all the time towards not just that particular subject, but then it feeds into everything. The things I'm passionate about because I'm not dealing with what's happening underneath. That young man, when I explained that to him, big awkward pause again. Love the awkward pauses, used to hate them. Big awkward pause, trust me. Talking to someone, give them a moment. Give them 30 seconds, give them five minutes. Silence is good. Because if they say one word, it's better that one word come out of them than you have a hundred words of advice for them to be able to just vent whatever the issue is. So he then started opening up. One of the biggest things was he had a really bad experience with a primary school teacher that was justified, it was horrible. And therefore, he had it all teachers. He never shared that. It gets me in my heart that there's people, and particularly these kids I work with, that have this thing that they've pushed down, they've covered up with all this hate and all this anger. Honestly, I don't even know if the kid's a Christian. But I'm reaching out, I'm just helping him and letting him vent. And he started bawling. Probably five, ten minutes. Young man, probably never cried in his life or recent life. And he's just bawling in front of me because he started to admit there were things that were underneath. Some of these things can be church disappointments, the fact that I've failed at one point, offence, harm, rejection, sadness. We can underrate sadness. It's such a, a nice little three-letter emotion, sad. Oh, we feel sad. But when we don't deal with that, it gets covered by anger very easily, very easily. Trauma, unforgiveness, grief, and loss, just to name a couple. Ultimately, when we be angry, when we ask wisdom, when we seek out wisdom, and then we're free to start to move forward from that, we still need to include one factor that Jesus had with him the whole time, and that was the Father. So my final one as a bonus is be open. Be open to God. Be open to the Father. Be open to the wealth of wisdom, peace, and joy that He can give you when you feel the complete opposite. When no one else can give you anything, He can give you that one thing that you need. When you run to Him and you be open. Proverbs 3, 5-7, to it says, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Maybe there's one person here today that needs to know that they don't know it all. But when I was 18 years old, I finished with this story. My mum's friend, who was a really good friend of mine, she was admitted to a hospital very quick, like all of a sudden was told that she didn't have long to live. I go into details. 
but it was like a real, it was affecting her whole body. And apparently she contacted my mum. Mum had been seeing her for that couple of days that she'd been in the hospital. She said, could Jason come? I hardly know her. Like I've always been over the house and everything, conversation, but I don't know her personally. She's not particularly my best friend. Why would she want me to come along? And I also struggle sometimes in those situations, even to this day. And so anyway, I go along, not knowing what's happening. And then everyone sort of went to the side and were talking. There was probably about 10 people in the room, family, friends of hers, all loved ones. She says, come over. And she like whispers or a really soft voice. She just says, I want you to pray for me. Because you're the only person that's, or like a faith person that I, I feel like I can trust with this last prayer. It's one of my own experiences I've had of this. Being at someone's side, in potentially their last moments and asking, she asked for two types of prayers. First one was to be healed and I was on fire. I was ready to go. Let's go. I'm believing for healing God. You're a healing God. You're a restorative God. Let's go. I was ready for that. The second one, I wasn't so passionate about. Not that, not that I'm not passionate about, but not so because I wanted to see the results. And so the, first, the second prayer was just could, could you just pray for my, uh, do a prayer with me for salvation because I've walked away from God I'm struggling in my last moments and I know he's real. I just want him to come in my life and I know he will, but I just need help with that. So I'm young at this awesome opportunity, but also my focus is on the first prayer. And as I pray for healing, just me and her, just a soft voice praying for her, my hand on her chest, and I'm sitting there praying for her. And I went, let's go, amen. Then the second prayer comes out and she repeats after me, do a salvation prayer, awesome, cool. But the thing that was on my mind, church, was the next morning, I was like, I'm believing for the miracle. I'm believing for the healing. Let's go. Come on, God. Don't let me down. You know, let's, let's, make, let's, let's do this. This is young, ambitious, Christian, myself, just, just talking with God the next morning. Next day, she died. And I was angry at God. <laughs> I didn't have anyone else to be angry at. I was angry at God. Strong word. I hated him. I said all sorts of words. I kind of went, nah, stuff this prayer thing. And I was a youth leader on a Friday night under Jared's leadership and he was encouraging us to prayer and believe for amazing things. And I'd say the words, but I wouldn't believe it. I'd be half-hearted because of that experience and that hurt, that loss, that grief. That's what I pushed down. And it was just anger towards God. And it wasn't until about five years later where a person came up, a complete stranger at a conference and said, I feel like God's put on my heart. Just I don't know if this means anything, but I, you know, I got John Ray and Shami and Adam were in the room with me as well that I shared the story like literally minutes after. And I said, uh, the person came to me and said, I feel like God's just put on my heart. Don't know if it means anything, but you're struggling with the fact that you prayed for healing in a hospital room and you didn't get it. And that person didn't get it. And you hate and you're angry and you're frustrated at God and he wants to heal and he wants to restore. He just wants you to be open. Hence those two words mean so much to me. Be open. Because what God can do in a couple of minutes, we can spend hours and hours and hours in therapy and support and those things are great. But what God can do when we just open up and allow him to take all, all access, particularly with anger, he can do something amazing. And I felt healed in that moment. Five years I went with pain and hurt because of one experience and I was so angry. And I don't feel like I'm the only one in the room that might have a little bit of anger right now. Maybe a little bit of frustration towards God, towards someone close, 
towards a friend, maybe a boss, a colleague, a peer, friend, a teacher, a student. But I just want to pray with us today because I feel like there's been burnt on my heart to share with us as a church family because anger is one of the most destructive emotions when we react at it and we let it lead. But I can tell you right now, anger can also be one of the most restorative emotions because if we don't feel angry about things, then injustice will continue. If we don't feel angry about certain things, evil will continue. If we don't feel angry about certain things, all the wrong stuff that happens to people can continue. It's actually something valid. Be angry. Be wise. Be free. And just be open to Him. Why don't you stand, church? Father, help us. Help us to be more open to you, to be our first response when any emotion is going through us, but particularly anger. When we get hurt, when we get let down, when we get offended, when we go through loss, whatever it is, Help us to run to you first. Help us to run to people that have a strong faith in you to point us to you. Help us get on the journey so that when we get open to you, you can start to restore, start to heal. And it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes a short time. God, we just want to put in your hands and your will. It's better in your hands than in our own. It's better in your heart than our heart. It's better to be on, in your backpack than the things that we carry around in our life. So help us, Father, to have a better understanding of how to deal with, work through, and live with these things called emotions. I pray for anyone here today that's dealing with anger in any circumstance, small or big, just today or for years. I pray that you'd soften their heart. I pray you'd put the right people in their lives. I pray that you'd give them maybe a, a new confidence to talk about it with someone they trust, ultimately you, Father. And we pray and believe for a restoration journey to start, for a healing journey to start, and for you to have the final say on us. Ultimately, right now, even just as a minimum, Father, we just ask for peace. <laughs> a peace that we can't understand, we can't try to achieve or get. We just receive from you. Help us to receive that and your love and your joy. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I hope that's encouraged. I hope it's challenged. I hope it's motivated, inspired because this is not something that I've just come up with. I'm passionate about doing it at the school, talking to kids about this subject. But ultimately, these points, these scriptures, God's been doing a work in my heart, and I hope that even if it's just one word, that changes the trajectory of the way you were coming through this door today, through the front doors, to the way you're going out with this subject of anger. Pray that you be blessed, and that we have an amazing time out in the foyer, connecting, doing community well as a family. Thanks, peeps.